Now turn back with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 12, and uh, let's uh, pursue our discussion of that. We, we looked at verse 3 last week. <clears throat> Let me read it like this, and hopefully you'll get the sense of um, what Paul is doing for us. Um, he begins, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Okay, Paul, fine. How can I take some steps to obey the exhortation of verse 3? Glad you asked, says Paul. For, as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, Though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Uh, we'll, we'll go further later. But guys, I, I said to you uh, that, that Paul addresses the Roman church. He addresses the Ephesian church, the Corinthian church about this issue. He is trying to give you some principles of a well-ordered, um, uh, unified church. And so... Um, uh, he says that this is what we said last week. There's some things to avoid, and and one of those is to not think too highly, but to think soberly about the the way that God has um, uh, intends for you to fit in to the rest of the this this functioning thing called the church. And so he then immediately launches a a um, a discussion of a metaphor, and it is a vital metaphor, ladies and gentlemen, one that can be taken too far. But um, it's 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 not. Some of my comments tonight may may uh, um, may tend to be um, less than than sober than they might ought to be. Uh, but but guys, when Paul got ready to tell the Christian church how she could function in a way that there was um, something really sweet that was the result. The, the, the explanation that he gives involves an understanding of this whole idea of a body. Let me show it to you. It's right there in verse 4. He says, for as in one body we have members. Guys, he's talking about this one, this thing that you've got with you tonight, this body. In, in this body we have many members or parts, don't you? You have all kinds of different things in that thing of yours. You've got a pancreas and you've got a liver and you've got a, you know, a leg and you've got a, a stomach. All kinds of various parts in that thing. There are various members and the parts do not all have the same function. The liver does something different than the pancreas. Now notice in verse 5. So we. So we who? The church. He's likening the church to a body. And guys, he does that a lot. He does it several times um, for different churches, various churches. He says that, the, that this organism that, of which we're a part is likened unto a body. A body. Now, I know you've perhaps heard this before, but it's if we're going to obey verse 3, we've got to get this little image, this little metaphor firmly implanted in our, our whole consciousness. We have to view ourselves like a body. Now, guys, I said this last week, but a commentary on Romans 12 is 1 Corinthians 12. And so I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians 12. 
because you get more data, more input that he makes there concerning this issue of a body. And so I want to point out some things about it, and then we'll finish. Now, guys, again, all I'm, I, what I've, I've showed you in verses 3 and 4, he is using an analogy, a metaphor, trying to, to explain the proper functioning of the body of Christ, us, by giving us an analogy, this body, this one, okay? Now, and I'm now, I'm now saying that a more expansive treatment of that subject is found in 1 Corinthians 12. And I want to show you what he's doing here that I think will help us appreciate further Romans chapter 12. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25. Um, I'm going to begin in the middle of verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care one uh, care for one another. Here's my point, guys. The thing that Paul is seeking to prevent by this whole analogy of a body, the thing that he's trying to avoid is division among Christians. That's what he says. That there may be no division now, what is it that will go a long way in helping us avoid division? It is an understanding of this concept of body. So, my brother and sister in Christ, if unity in the body of Christ, if unity among the people of God is important to you, you better get this thing down. This is not playtime. This is not a, oh, isn't that a funny little analogy that Paul uses? No. He's using it so that he can help the church avoid divisions. Guys, there are people in this room who have gone through church divisions and church splits before. I, I wonder how they can still function as a believer when, they, when they've seen some of this stuff that goes on. Part of the explanation is... Well, we haven't got a rich, profound understanding of the analogy that Paul's using here, because if we had that, then we maybe we wouldn't fight so. Maybe we wouldn't be so ugly. Maybe we wouldn't we wouldn't experience division. I want to show you this too before we. This is that's the first thing I want to show you in First Corinthians twelve is that his purpose is by using this to help us avoid division. But notice notice what he does. Paul closes chapter twelve by tying it to chapter thirteen. In chapter 13, as you know, is a chapter about love. You know, people ask me to do their weddings, and they, they, um, they say they, they ask me if I'll read 1 Corinthians 13 in their wedding, and I always say, no, I won't. I won't read 1 Corinthians 13 in your wedding because it has nothing to do with the, marriage, with, the, with the love that a husband has for his wife or a wife has for his husband. 1 Corinthians 13 is not about the love that I have for Susie, and I'm so glad she's home. Um, that, <laughs> Don't tell her what, what I said last week, please. Um, uh, but it has nothing, to, it doesn't describe this love. It describes this love. The love that's supposed to exist among us, not me and her. Guys, if you want me to prove my point, I can rather simply. In your marriages, do you want to include the erotic? Uh, I hope you do. Not one mention of the erotic in 1 Corinthians 13. This is not about marital love. It's about Christian love. It's about us loving one another. 
Now, here, here's the point, guys. Every time there's division, what it is is a failure to love. We have failed to love. And I'm, I'm suggesting again that one of the things that will help us love is a, is, a, is a functioning grasp of this whole metaphor of a body. You've got to keep this thing in mind that, that, this, that Paul uses this body metaphor as we attempt to combat any kind of spirit of division among us. Okay? So it's, a, it's an important thing is all I'm saying, guys. This is not just, oh, isn't that illustrative? Yeah, it is illustrative. But it's illustrative with a very significant, important purpose behind it. Okay. Um, now, look at chapter 12, verse 4. I mean, in Corinthians, we're still in there. Um, notice what he says in verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God. Did you, did you, did you get the emphasis here, guys? The mention in verse 4 is that in the body, in this body, and in this one, there's great variety. Guys, uh, we've got medical professionals here who could probably tell you how, how, much, how different the liver is from the pancreas. I, I, I can't help you. But there's what he's saying is that just like in the body, there's great diversity. There's great diversity among us. But more often than not, the diversity is the occasion for our division. Guys, when you got ready to choose a church, what did you look for? Did you look for diversity? Or did you look for sameness? That is, I want to find a church that's theologically just like I am. I want to find a church that's, uh, you know, um, um, socially. Yeah, socially. Just like I am. Not only that. I want to find a place that's musically just like me. You know, the kind of stuff I like. Ladies and gentlemen, you tell me how many churches have, have fought over musical diversity. When you got ready to look for a church, what did you look for? Diversity or sameness? Ah! Huh? You started looking for sameness. Where are those people like me? Where are those people that think like me and sing like me and act like me and got the same kind of money as I got and, you know, gang, that is a fundamental assault on the whole understanding of a body. It says there is variety. And instead of celebrating that variety, we run from it. i got to find some people, you know, who are racially just like me. Guys, we do not know how to live with theological differences. And that is tragic. Well, you don't believe like I believe and watch this. Paul is saying that there's, he's acknowledging the great variety that exists And yet the variety is the thing that separates us. A thing that we're supposed to be celebrating. We don't. How can we run from it? 
guys, if this body, this very handsome, <laughs> svelte uh, body, if this body is to function in a healthy way, I need all of the diversity in there to do its thing. I need all of those different parts in there to play the assigned task that they've been given. Or, I'm not very healthy. Folks, to insist upon sameness is illness. Guys, the fact that you can't live peacefully, joyfully, honorably, respectfully, with theological difference. That just shows that you're unhealthy. That just shows that your insecurities won't allow you to hear anything different than what you nail down. You know, guys, um, I, I, we, don't do, we don't do a lot of things well, and, and I'm not saying, saying this is well. I'm just going to tell you a quick story. There was a guy here, uh, he's... he's, he's he told me a story. He, he went to a meeting. He's gone now, but um, he went to a meeting. And um, at that meeting, uh, he happened to be sitting at a table with uh, Chuck Colson. You know that name, Chuck Colson? Chuck Colson, you know, the prison fellowship dude. And, and, um, um, <clears throat> uh, so, and so he was sitting at the same table with Chuck Colson, and, and I, I think he was a supporter of prison fellowship, and maybe he supported him a lot, and so that's why I get to sit at the table with, prison, with Chuck Colson, I guess. I don't know, but anyway, he was sitting at the table with Chuck Colson. So Chuck Colson was kind of, if you've ever been in, the, I've been with Chuck Colson with RC one night, but Chuck Colson is, is, a, is a type A driver boy. I mean, he couldn't have served in the Nixon administration without being, but he was a dude. But, I mean, he commanded the table, and, and, and Colson went around the table, and he said, well, tell, tell me about uh, your home church, and your home church. And your... So he came to this guy, who at that time was a part of Grace of Man. He's gone now, but um, uh, he said, well, at my church, um, I don't know how they got onto this, but he mentioned the fact that we do both kinds of baptism here. That we are covenantal, Jimmy Young baptizes infants, and, and then there's Jeff Simons, he immerses whomever. And Chuck Colson, <laughs> he immerses all those people in error. Uh, <laughs> there you go, see, there you go. <laughs> but uh, so this man is telling Chuck Colson this, and Chuck Colson said, I have never heard of that ever working in a church. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, People come into this church and they say, well, we want to know about your views on baptism. I'll say, okay. Okay. We don't know how to... What we want is sameness when Paul is saying, there's variety, there's variety, there's variety. And I'm telling you guys, sameness is sickness. I'm going to read you a quote. I love this quote. It came from one of my heroes, G.K. Chesterton. He said this, Christianity got over the difficulty of combining furious opposites by keeping them both and keeping them both furious. <laughs> Do you love that? I'll read it quickly. Christianity got over the difficulty of combining furious opposites by keeping them both and keeping them both furious. Can you get over that? Can you do that? Well, I don't believe in baptizing infants. 
Well, I'm sorry you don't. But is that why we break fellowship one with the other? Because of theological difference. Is that it? You know, ladies and gentlemen, I adore my wife. You know what? We don't agree on everything. Um, and if you insist on, on finding agreement when the thing that we're supposed to be celebrating is variety, then I'm telling you, you're sick. You're ill. You're not spiritually healthy. God requires only one thing of each member of the body, and that is that we be loyal to Christ. Now, so th- there's this diversity thing that I, that I want you to see, but the, se- the third thing that I want you to see in this passage is that that diversity is supposed to be simply the preamble to unity. Look at, um, look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So all of this diversity that's, that exists in the body of Christ exists there for what reason? So that the whole thing will be healthier. That's what's there. Yeah. Yeah. The only basis of our unity begins not with our similarities, but with our diversity. Unity grows out of our appreciation and value of our diversity. Guys, go back to this analogy, the, this body thing. I got all this stuff going on in the body. And for it to, for it to function as a unified whole, it just means that all of those diverse parts have got to be doing the job assigned to them to do. I would be a fool, wouldn't I, to say to one of those parts, you know, I don't like the way you do things. I mean, you you produce bile. Ugh. What is bile? That just sounds awful. So just, just stop it. But you, guys, as comical as that might be, we do that within the body of, I don't like the fact that you, that you, uh, you know, that you want to, that you want to, you want to immerse those people. I just want you to stop that. Because I don't, I don't believe like that. That's sickness, ladies and gentlemen. That's not health. Because all of that diversity when she is, when all the diversity is being loyal to its head, that's Christ. You know what comes out of that? Well, in this body, what comes out of it is health. And in this body, what comes out of it is the sweetest, healthiest unity. Guys, um, years ago, we were in what was called the worship wars. How many churches do you know of that were split over music? They were called the worship wars. I mean, they had articles in Christianity Today about the worship war. And I wrote this paper 
It's on, the, it's on the website. If you'd like to go read it, you can read it. It's on there right now. Because the elders thought, well, gosh, maybe this is going to help us get through this mess. And um, the whole paper was based on 1 Corinthians 12. And the, the, the idea was, basically, you know, if I have my way when it comes to music around here, we won't be singing. We'll be singing out of the hymnal. If I had my way. You ask my wife if that's not true. I mean, I'd have, I'd have Roger McMurrin here. If you know who Roger McMurrin is, the guy from Ukraine with his uh, um, 65-piece orchestra and 90-voice choir, that's what I'd have. That's what I want. But for me to say, um, we're going we're gonna to sing like this, is to say that diversity that God has placed in the body. And for you to sit in a pew and say, but I don't like that. It's like looking at your pancreas and say, stop producing the bile. That would be insanity, wouldn't it? Well, it is also insanity for someone not to celebrate and enjoy the marvelous gifts that God has placed into a body. And you know what? That little paper got us through. Got us through the worship war. We didn't have any. Because people came to grasp that there is, there is a good thing that comes out of all that diversity. Guys, all right, now uh, the, here's my fourth little point. Um, it's in verse 26. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, do you know what that... that it suggests it suggests that there is an interdependence in the body. I said this last week, and I, I drove away from here thinking, I wish I hadn't have said that because I think you got the wrong impression. Let me say it again this week and, and maybe clarify my stupidities. There is an interdependence. I mean, you know, if the, if the pancreas doesn't work, the liver shuts down. If the liver shuts down, the lungs don't work. And if the lungs don't work, the, the heart... Because they're all, they all need each other. And I said this last week. You need me. But I need you too. And the thing that I didn't make clear, you don't need me anymore, I need you. When, when this body functions like she's supposed to, there, there, is a, there is a sweet interdependence. And you know what that does? That spawns love. When we recognize, ooh, I need you. <laughs> Man, you need me. And so we, we begin to treat each other differently. And there's also... I think it gives rise to a healthy humility. You know, I can't do this alone. Because, <laughs> I mean, who ever heard of a body that was one big liver? No, sir. You know, I've, I've said this before because people think it's funny. Um, uh, I remember saying it in the Czech Republic one time, and, and the little girl that was translating, she just she just broke out in laughter because she thought it was... But I consider my, 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 my piece in the, in the body is that I'm the tongue. She thought that was very funny. She thought that was very And so, but let's imagine 
that the pancreas and the liver got together and said, nah, I've had enough. I'm not going to do my thing. I quit. Tell me this. How well does the tongue function then? Guys, this is not playtime. This is a vital principle. When Paul got ready to say, here's how you order a church such that you avoid division and create unity, you know what he used? He used a metaphor of a body. And we got to get this. You know, guys... um, In this body, if there's any cell in it that decides it's going to do its own thing and work independently, you know what they call that? They call that cancer. We need this this sober-minded respect for the interdependence of the body. And, and hopefully it would um, it would create a a sweet sense of humility that nobody is acting the fool because we know that unless the other parts of the body are valued and honored and are doing their thing, we're all going to just get real sick. Now, a few other things that I want to show you in this text, and then we're done. Look at verse seven. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All right, first of all, you need to note, it says, to each is given. Every one of you out there has been given something by the grace of God that He expects you to use for the healthy functioning of the body. It wasn't just if you, well, you know, I don't have any gifts. (laughs) If you think that's humility, you're sick. That's not humility, ladies and gentlemen. You have something that the body needs. I don't know what it is. But this text says, you've been given something. Everybody's got something that they're supposed to contribute to the overall healthy functioning of the body. Yeah, you. But Jimmy, you know, I I don't know that I can ever... The text says that the Spirit of God has granted to you, each one of you, you may have one, you may have two, you may have 30, but you got something that the body needs. And one of the reasons, ladies and gentlemen, that the church of the 21st century is so impotent is that you pay the professionals to do something God gifted you to do. Back to verse 7. Read it again. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Here's my point. Never is your gift to be used for your own personal self-aggrandizement. It has been given to you so that the body would benefit, so that the body would be healthy. You know, guys, years ago, um, when I was engaged in a, a little, I don't know, Uh, I was trying to figure out what this whole thing, the whole tongues movement was. I mean, this is back when I was in seminary and there was a, it was just a big thing that was going on in Louisville, Mississippi. And man, I was trying to figure out 
You've heard of people speaking in tongues before, I, I guess. And I was trying to figure this thing out and sort it all out in ways. I'm just, am I supposed to go hunt for that? And yada, 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 yada. One of the things that was a turning point for me in my whole understanding of this thing called tongues is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Because it says, whatever you got is for me. And, and what I was hearing is we were taking this gift of tongues and we were taking it into our prayer closets and we were using it as a prayer language. Don't you dare. If you got it, you better use it for me. Because that's why you were given it. I don't know what you got, but it wasn't given for you. It was given for me. It's given for the common good, ladies and gentlemen. Whatever gift you got is for the common good for all of us. So if you're getting a big kick out of what you're, what, what God a gift, then it must be wrong. And that's what was going on, at least part of the analysis, I thought. Part of the analysis was, mm, that ain't right. Because you're taking this spiritual gift that you've got and taking it into your prayer closet and having this angelic uh, uh, gibberish. Mm-mm. No, no, if you got it, you better bring it out of the closet and use it for the, for the functioning of the body because that's what it says it was given for. For the common good, for all of us. Um, look at verse 11. Um, Paul writes, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who appoints to each one individually as he wills. That is, what you got, he gave you. Uh, you don't get a call in this. There is a sovereign distribution that goes on by the Holy Spirit himself, and he gives as he wills. Well, you know, I really would like to have that one. Sorry. The ones that you got, he granted you. He gave you out of his sovereign dispensation. And I, I, I want you to notice that it, it says again, to each one, to each one, the, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity exercised his right of sovereign dominion and gave you what he wanted you to have. So don't you be coveting mine. And I don't even need to be coveting yours. Because what I got, he gave me, and what you got, he gave, him, he, he gave you. It's a part of his, his sovereign exercise of his will. That was another deficiency that I saw in the whole charismatic neo-Pentecostal movement of the 70s, was that everybody was clamoring after one gift. They wanted that tongues thing. And, I, and I, you know, they made a movement out of it, the tongues movement. And I wanted to say, well, did anybody ever think about making a, a movement out of giving? <laughs> or mercy? I mean, but why, we make, why did we take that one and make a movement out of it? We made a movement. Well, gosh, no. I mean, uh, we might need that one, sure. Why that one at the expense of the others? And then finally, um, look at verse 30. Um, This is an intricate argument. I'm not sure I can make it fast enough, but do all possess gift of healings? Do Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Guys, I'm afraid that you've misunderstood verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 12. 
This is not a piece of instruction. The Apostle Paul is not saying, all right, everybody, y'all go out and desire the greater gifts. He ain't saying that. This is not an imperative. It's an indicative. Here's what he's saying. You know what you people are doing? You out, you're, go, you're out there desiring the greater gifts. And then what he says, and let me show you a better way. And then he, he takes a whole chapter and explains love. He's not inviting you to go desire anything better. He's saying that as a piece of condemnation in the Corinthian church. You desire the greater gifts, but let me show you a more excellent way. You know what the more excellent way is? Love. And you know what promotes and enhances love? It's a proper appreciation of this whole idea of body. I need you. We're, we're interdependent. We're stuck in this thing with all this variety. And the end result is supposed to be this beautiful unity that comes out of it. And when everybody's doing what God gifted them to do, guess what happens? Man, the church makes strides. But oftentimes what we find is a calling, the equipment given in terms of the gift, and then abject disobedience on the part of God's people and a refusal to use what God has given them. Whatever their reasons are, I don't know. There might be scores of reasons. But uh, Ray Steadman, who wrote a book back in the, uh, gosh, the 60s now, the title of the book was Body Life, and he kind of started this whole discussion. But he used a story in there that I, I maybe I've said it to you before, but I, I, I love it. He said, he said the church is like a, a football game. You got this packed stand, a stadium with eighty thousand people, and he said, he said you got twenty two people down on the field desperately in need of rest, and you got eighty thousand people in the stands desperately in need of exercise. And that's what you end up with so often in the church. So, um, what do you think the result of that would be? What if you would? What do you think if ninety percent of this body decided to shut down? What would be the end result of that? Now, guys, let me do this real quick and then show you. Go back to Romans twelve. Paul introduces the thing in verse four, as I said. He said. For as in one body we have many members, many parts, and and the parts do not have all the same function, so we, that is the church, though many, and there's some weird people in this church. There's some weird preachers in this church, too. And that's all that's that's something we ought to celebrate. Um though many are one body in Christ and individually members for one another. Then in verse 6, he launches a discussion of not all of them, but notice what he's uh, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. See what he says? Okay, uh, there's been grace granted to you. We all have different roles to play, but let's use them. And then he says, he mentions four. 
If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, and the one who teaches in his teaching, and the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, <coughs> the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You see what he did? You, you want to have the, a well-ordered, well-functioning, loving, unified church. And you better get this down. You better get this down, and then the whole the whole idea, the whole the whole mental picture of the body. You got to get that down, and then you got to go find out what he gave you. Now, and once you find it, you deploy it. And anything less than that is pure disobedience. It is, it is willful rebellion on your part when you have been instructed. Here's how it works. This is what I want you to think. Uh, to each one of the grace has been given. So find out what it is. And he says, use it. That's the thing that creates sweet, powerful unity. It makes her useful to the community. That's quick. Our Father, I, I pray that I have done this metaphor service and not distracted from it. It is indeed a, a rich image, one that's uh, very necessary and needed in the body of Christ these days. And, and I pray, Lord, that you will, um, if, if this is new information for those who are here tonight, I pray that you will use it to stir us. There will, there, there will be a sense of excitement about that we're, we're a part of this too, that everybody's got a, got a part to play, a role that's vital and needed and, and useful for uh, the building up of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Father, for those who have sat on the sidelines for way too long, I pray that you will get them in the game. There's not enough exhortation, there's not enough sermons that I can preach that will do that. Would you do it, Lord? Would you cause them to see that sitting on the bench is just not an option. Get them in the game, Lord. And that the hope is that you will use Gracie Van in such a powerful way that our community will know that there is a believing body in their midst. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night.